chapter 1. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, they'll give it to you. And if you'd all, when you get uh, your Bibles opened, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. So would you stand with me? We're going to pick up this morning at verse 15. Now this epistle to the Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul had uh, served as a pastor there for a little over three years. And he's writing this letter to them as he's in a Roman prison. And he's encouraging them. He wants them to realize you know, what God wants to do in and through their lives. And he, he covered eight things that we covered in the previous messages. But this morning he wants to tell them how he prays for them. How he prays for them. Uh, and this is a very powerful prayer. One of the neat things to do when you go through scriptures, look at the, the, the prayers of Paul. Uh, just it, there's, They're amazing in how he prayed for the church. This is one of his prayers, starting with verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what he makes mention, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes, also that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to be the church or to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that's what we're going to take a look at. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to this passage of Scripture and we see this prayer of the Apostle Paul that he put all things under your feet, Lord Jesus, that you, Father, put all things under the feet of your Son and you gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is your body, Lord. We are your body. The church is your body and the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. And Lord, may we represent your body in such a way that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, as the, the body of Christ throughout the world is fractured and, and we're, we're struggling and we have struggles over coming into submission and, and recognizing who we are and having the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know the hope of this calling, that we would know the inheritance we have as saints and that we would know and experience the exceeding greatness of your power, Lord. God, that just seems to be missing in so many regards. But God, as we're coming into Resurrection Sunday, and here we are at Palm Sunday, and Lord, we testify, as we did earlier in our time of prayer, that we are a fickle people, that at one moment, like the, the, the people in Jerusalem did, they said, Hosanna, they praised you. They laid down palm leaves and uh, palm fronds as you entered in. And then shortly thereafter, they were crying out for your crucifixion. And Lord, we, we scream and cry and, and, and declare you to be Hosanna, God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we find ourselves not even honoring you or serving you and running quickly towards sin. And Lord, we ask that you would make us a people that would understand the exceeding greatness of your power in our lives, that we would know the riches of this inheritance of the saints and that the understanding and enlightenment would be open for our eyes to realize this high and noble calling of being the body of Christ. 
Lord, show us what that means. Minister to us now, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Uh, this, this week um, has been an interesting week. Uh, as you know, on Thursdays, the pastors gather for prayer. Uh, all the pastors in the community, we gather for prayer. And uh, probably the, the lowest attendance uh, for this gathering was these last two weeks. Um, it, was, it was sparse at best. And even one of those weeks, it was really sparse, and I wasn't there. And, um, and Pastor Brett had, had commented that there were just three people there, and, and it was, it was kind of sad. And it was interesting that when I had talked with Brett, and he was, he was going through some of the issues over in Malibu, putting Calvary Chapel Malibu together, and they've been through some struggles and, and having to deal with, you know, just, just folks who are struggling. I, I don't really know how to get into that other than churches are funky places, and, and uh, they're, they're filled with sinners like you and me. And sinners have opinions, and we're offended, and we offend, and, and you know, as a family, uh, you, go through, you go through seasons of change. And Malibu, you know, losing their pastor, him uh, going to serve in another community, and we're doing the interim there, and working through all the issues there, and, and watching as how one person uh, can affect two, and two can affect four, and then, then a church is, is struggling for survival. It's 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 sad. And to watch those things happen around the community, and, and I, I guess the, the part that was interesting as Pastor Brett and I were talking is the discouragement that it, it levels on, on, a, on, on a, a pastoral community. Because, uh, you know, it's not unique to Pastor Brett, it's not unique to me, it's, it, it's, it, you know, it's something that Pastor Steve Larson at the bridge is experiencing, and Pastor Doug Posey, and, and we all go through these seasons. And, and like last Sunday at the second service when we gave an opportunity to receive Christ, there was just a... a huge response to the Lord. And it was interesting to me that as I'm watching people's lives being transferred from, from death unto life, that there's an, an eternal transaction, that their names are being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's a rejoicing as the angels in heaven are rejoicing that people are giving their hearts to Christ. I have to con- confess to you, from a pastoral perspective, I look out and, and it's not necessarily that, I, I'm, not, uh, that I'm not rejoicing, that, uh, you know, I am rejoicing that people have come to Christ but I am conflicted by the people who are missing. And, and you know, you, you, you always leave going, how many weeks have they been gone? Do I need to call them? Is there something I could have said? Is there something I've offended them? Sometimes you'll call them and go, no, no, we've just been sick as dogs. We'll be there next week. Don't worry, pastor. And, you know, you, and then there's other times where the people just fall off the radar screen and you never know. And, and through that process of time, you're trying to figure it out. And, you know, looking out, we've, we've had connections with each other, some of us many times, and, and it takes a while to realize, where did that person go? And then your heart's heavy, and you go through a season of discouragement. You'll follow up, you'll see somebody, and you go, oh, we've chosen not to you know, go there because of this, or I'm offended by you and that. And, and then the pastor's initial response is that when somebody's offended, well, I'm offended that you never came to talk to me, and Matthew 18, and where's the, and you, everybody's offended, and hey, nothing's accomplished. And it becomes this, this tragic constant in the body of Christ that creates discouragement. Discouragement for the folks leaving, discouragement for the folks who remain, discouragement throughout the body of Christ. And what was interesting to me is here we are approaching probably the most significant event in, on the Christian calendar, which is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and, and the pastors in the community are discouraged. And the reason why they're discouraged is because of, of this, this interpersonal 
turmoil with congregants. And, and we all go through these seasons in life. And, and as I was, I was thinking about that, here the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's in prison. He's in prison, and he doesn't know if he's going to be alive the next day. And he's writing to them, and he's telling them about all the, the blessings that they have in, in the Lord, that they've been predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world to be saved. They've been adopted. They've been accepted. They've been redeemed. They've been forgiven. They've been given the, the knowledge of his will. Uh, they, they've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the inheritance, the riches in the saints, and, and all these things he's, he's sharing with the body of Christ. And then as he lays that out, the next thing he goes to is he says, therefore, with that understanding, and he begins in verse 15, therefore, with that understanding, I want you to know how it is I want you to come and embrace this and know this. I want you to grow in this understanding of all these areas that we've outlined for you. And he says, that, that I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, and that's where we, we focus on, that you may know, know what? The hope of his calling. You see, the hardest part in the body of Christ is that we lose the hope of the calling. We get discouraged. We lose the hope of the calling. We get discouraged. Everybody gets discouraged in the hope of the calling. We forget that we're predestined and chosen. We forget the fact that we've been adopted. We forget the fact that we've been accepted and redeemed and forgiven and sealed with the promise of the inheritance and riches in Christ. We forget all of that. But Paul says, this is the thing I intercede and I pray for, for the church. He says that they would know the hope of the calling that God has on their life. What is the calling God has on you? And what is the hope of that calling? Because the only thing that's greater than suffering, the only thing that's greater than fear is hope. You know, they, 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 took, they took Norwegian rats in a study and they threw them because they were studying in World War II about men after the USS Indianapolis had gone down and how men stay alive. And they threw these rats in the water and, and they began to, you know, uh, agitate the water and the rats were trying to stay afloat and they drowned within three minutes. And then what they did is right as some of these rats were at the brink of getting ready to, to drown, they, they plucked them out of the water and they dried them off and they fed them. Well, the next time they did the experiment, it, it wasn't the three-minute mark. They lasted for, for over 20 hours staying afloat because somebody had introduced hope. Somebody had introduced hope at that exact moment. And so in that moment where they had, they had introduced hope, these rats went on and on and on, thinking that there's going to be a hand that's going to come down, pick them up, and, and dry them off and feed them. And hope overcomes fear. Hope overcomes pain. Hope overcomes all kinds of things. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I want you to see the, the hope of God's calling on your life. If the enemy can take away the hope of that calling, if the enemy can take away the hope of that calling, he dominates. He absolutely dominates. And, and so, you know, even the pastors find themselves in this place where you, you, you start to kind of lose that focus because you think, well, maybe, maybe we aren't accomplishing much. And then he goes on to say uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the same verse, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You know, when we think about this idea, this is the God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, and he's chosen to lavish upon you the riches of his kingdom. And, and this, is, this is the part that blows me away. This is the part that blows me away. God didn't get a deal in this transaction. 
I mean, think about it. He's lavishing you on you the riches of his inheritance. And what do you give him in return? Your sorry self. Some of you are going, well, I'm quite a bargain. We're... No, you aren't. No, no. You know, what, you know what it's like when you come to him and you offer your offering on a, on a Sunday and, and you're writing out that check or you know, putting in that 10% and if there's joy, you're putting it out there. You're giving to him that which is already his. He already owns it. You're taking the vase off of his mantelpiece and giving it to him and you want him to be proud of you. Look what I gave you, God. And some of you are like, well, no, you can't. This, I'm going to give you this. It's all mine anyways, kid. It's like Father's Day. It's like my birthday. It's like my birthday. I'm, I'm turning 48 in August. Don't forget that, 10th. And as, but my kids, my kids, when they were young, you know, their birthdays would come. And think about it. You know, turn, they turn one, they got every gimmick toy you can imagine, two, and the grandparents are lavishing, and you got to compete with the Joneses, and you're buying stuff. And, every, and they get all this cool stuff, and it's your birthday as a dad. You get like a cutout card, you know, and they, they used paper that you needed and they wiped out the ink in the inkjet printer so you couldn't print out your sermon that morning, you know, and, and, and they're like, look, dad, look what I got. You're like, this is great. Super, you know, and you get nothing. You get nothing. It's just, it, it, and whatever money they spend, it's still coming out of your pocket. So you're hoping they don't get you anything expensive because you can't afford it. But the riches of our father's inheritance, we as his kids, you know, as a, as a dad, there is a joy in getting gifts from your kids. And look, look, I don't, seek, I don't seek for equity in the gift exchange. I'm just blessed about my kids. I don't need equity. You know, the gifts don't have to be equal. Is that the right word? The gifts don't have to be equal. Just because I spent lavish amounts on my children, I don't need them to give me the same in return. I rejoice that they're my children. That's the joy in my heart in relation to all this. That's how God feels about us. That's the inheritance he lavishes upon us. And then in addition, this picture where he says, exceeding greatness of his power in verses 19 through 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He doesn't just say power, he says mighty power. Not just dunamis, mighty dunamis. Dunamis is where they get the word dynamite, explosive power. It's not, it's not, just, it's not just power. It's, just not, it's not even great power. It's the greatness of his power. It's not even the greatness of his power. It's the exceeding greatness of his power. Boom! And I, I, hear, I read that, and I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where is this exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ and raised him from the dead? Stop. Raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He's put it all under his feet. All of it. That's Resurrection Sunday. He raised his son from the dead. No, no one could stop it. Death couldn't hold him. All of the schemes of the enemy couldn't stop it. You can disprove the resurrection. You can disprove Christianity. You can't. You can't. And anyone who says there's no God is a fool. 
the might of his resurrection and that power. And he put it all under the authority in this picture that it's all under his feet. And he's the head over all things, the church. What's the church's body? And all that dominion rests with him and we're part of that. And what's wrong with the body? It's got a nervous disorder. Everyone wants to do their own thing. That's called disease. My friend Brad Lamont, uh, Lamont had Joseph's disease. His nervous system was awful. That's the body of Christ. I'm going this way. I'm going this way. There's no unity. Everybody's doing their own deal. And yet we have the head, which is Christ. What did he do? He submitted to the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. And we come to submit to his will. Not my will, but thy will be done. All of our agendas, all of our rights, all of them are yielded as Paul prays. That's where the power comes from. What happens? The body becomes aligned and we're working in unison and we get stuff done. We put our agendas aside. We put all of our selfishness aside. We crucify and he resurrects. And I was moved by that because when I see in this passage of Scripture what Paul wants the church to recognize it was interesting that the apostles themselves recognized the significance of this prayer. I've said this many a time that in, in, in over three years that Jesus walked with the apostles and discipled them, they witnessed him walk on water. They witnessed him raise the dead. They witnessed him, you know, bring sight to the blind and, and the deaf would hear and the lame would walk. He would feed thousands with a few loaves and a few fishes. And, and they witnessed it. They witnessed Peter walk on water. They, they, they witnessed him casting out demons. They witnessed him saying to the, to, to the elements, peace be still in a raging storm, and it was calm. They were stunned. And all the things that they witnessed the Lord do, there was only one thing they ever said, Lord, they, didn't, they, they said, would you teach us? And you'd think, well, what would they want, to, want him to teach? They only asked him one time, Lord, teach us. What, what, teach us what? Teach us how to calm the waters, to, to control the elements, to, to feed thousands with a few, to what? what? What do you want me to teach you, Lord? Will you teach us how to pray? Because we're starting to get it. You see, you said early on in your ministry when you did the whole Sermon on the Mount thing in Matthew chapter 6, you did this Lord's Prayer thing and we weren't really paying attention and there's a lot going on. And, 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 but we were noticing that you always tend to be praying. And we interrupt you, you're like talking to the Father and then we, we'd, and you go away to quiet places and, and then when we wake up, you've been awake long before us because it says in Mark that you woke long before the sun arose and went to a solitary place and there you, you prayed. So we're starting to see the pattern. Your private life of prayer is your public life of power. The exceeding greatness of God's power is found in prayer. All those P's. So Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Yes. Yes, I will. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Remember who you're praying to. 
Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You're holy. You're set apart. I want to, I'm your child. Your kingdom come. I put my agenda aside. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. We're here to bring heaven on earth. I'm your instrument of righteousness. I'm the scalpel in the hands of the surgeon. I'm not telling you what to do. You're telling me what to do. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I just want to die. You live. So that what will happen on earth, or what's in heaven will happen on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I'm not even going to get to the issues of what I want until everything that you want done is done because I know that you're going to give me what I need when I need it. We always start our prayer with, Lord, here's my laundry list. Cosmic genie in the sky. Here it is. And I don't know why you didn't give me the winning numbers. I could have healed the world. How many of you went through that in your mind and you're thinking, well, I'll tie 10%. I have a question for you. Was it going to be on the gross or the net? See, you already were like ripping God off. So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's coming. Lord, we can't do this without you. We want to be about your business. Take care of our needs. Lord, let it all be about forgiveness because we need unity. We need unity. And we have to forgive and also be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. And what happens when you pray that is you experience the exceeding greatness of his power. The exceeding greatness of his power. Jesus was going to the cross, right? This is what we're going to do this coming Friday. Jesus was going to the cross First, on this day, he enters into Jerusalem. They're saying, Hosanna, God in the highest. They're laying down palm leaves. And as he enters into the city and they they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're just rejoicing. And then shortly thereafter, they're going to be screaming, crucify him. Because he didn't come in to overthrow Rome. The Lord's coming in and we're like, oh, yes, this is the man that walks on water. This is the man that raises the dead. This is the man that casts out demons. This is the guy that's going to make my life. He's got the numbers to the lottery. This is so cool. And he comes in and now it's like, take down Rome, God. Let's do this. What do you mean? This is not your kingdom. What what are you talking about? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift. What do you mean prayer? Where's the power you were talking about? What do you mean unless a man loses his life, he won't gain it? What kind of a king is this? I wanted the lottery numbers. I've got a mortgage payment due. I've got, I've got a disease. My loved one's sick. What do you mean? This is what I wanted from you. What do you mean this prayer? Thy kingdom come. What about my kingdom come? What do you mean your will? What about my will? What about my needs? And then there you find him going to the Garden of Gethsemane as these people are fickle. Everybody wants a God that'll do his bidding, but nobody wants to do the bidding of God. And Jesus would retreat and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll tell you, ministry gets discouraging when people don't get the message. And you think, Lord, is it worth it? And you preach it, read your Bible, pray. 
And the needs are all still there. Everybody's coming with a need. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's okay. I got these 12 guys I've walked with for three years, and I've taught them how to pray. And these guys get it. Now, Judas, I know he's going to have some struggles, but these other 11, man, these guys are going to light it up. And this is going to be the critical hour. This is where I'm really going to draw on my disciples. These are, these are the servants in the body of Christ. These are the tight ones. And Peter, James, and John, those guys, are, they're going to be solid. He says, okay, fellas, we're in the garden and all hell's breaking loose, and it's going to come down in fury. It's going to be heavy. You have no idea. And he says, listen, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Remember the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us on, in, in, uh, forgive us as those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, this is the go time. This is the end of that prayer. We're going to be praying because you've got to pray that you won't enter into temptation. This is, this is heavy. We're going into Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to be crucified. You guys are going to be on the hook. It's going to be tough. And listen, Satan's not going to roll over and let the Conejo Valley come to Christ. He's not going to say, you know what? Open up the floodgates and let the Civic Arts Plaza be this absolute move of God's spirit. He's going to take everyone and fracture us so that we're so occupied and busy with all of our agenda and our will that the body of Christ is all convulsed. And he knows what's happening. He says to these guys, you pray. You pray. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup be taken from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He's following the same prayer. He taught him. And he's crying out to God, his father. Angel appeared to him and from heaven strengthened him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and then sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them praying and interceding. No! He found them sound asleep from sorrow. He says, why do you sleep? Rise and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. This is going to get tough. See, when it gets hard and it comes overwhelming, you make it and I make it all about me. And then we indulge ourselves and we go to the sin that easily besets us and we quit. And Jesus is on his knees praying and he's interceding. And then all of a sudden Judas comes in, betrays him with a kiss. Peter knocks off Malchus's ear. Jesus heals the ear. They arrest him, take him, beat him, crucify him. And Jesus said at the conclusion of that passage in Luke 22, have you come out of... Uh, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you daily in the temple? Why didn't you seize me? But, in, but this is your hour, and this is the power of darkness. God's going to do a big move on Resurrection Sunday. And Satan's doing everything he can to distract and divide the body of Christ. But here's the cool thing about it. The picture to me is when Jesus came to this place at Golgotha. They begin to mock and sneer him and ridicule him. And then they, they crucified him. And it says in Matthew's account, when they crucified him, they divided his garments, they cast lots and all these things. In verse 41 of, Luke, of Matthew 27, it says, Likewise, the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself he can't save. If he's a king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. He didn't have a friend on the earth. He doesn't have a friend on the earth. Nobody's left. This is going to be a really lousy Easter. Because it's all on his shoulders. There's no volunteers. There's no workers. Nobody, everybody's got something to do that day. And they've got, they, they have no design on the salvation of the world. It's going to be a really lousy Easter. He's all alone. And not only that, all the voices of hell are raging at him. Nobody prays. He prays. We find where it says that the two criminals were led with him to be put to death. And when they come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. A criminal, criminal on his right, a criminal on his left. And then what does Jesus do? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's following the Lord's prayer. Father, forgive them. He's just going through the whole Lord's prayer. And what's interesting is the two thieves are sitting there reviling him with all the scribes and the Pharisees and they're mocking and sneering at him and all hell's breaking loose. What's he doing? He's praying. And what happens when you pray? Exceeding greatness of his power. See, Luke 23 goes on to say, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you were the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 50% of the com- community he was involved with got saved. Both hated him. One was transformed by his praying. What does that mean? That means, let me tell you how to screw up Easter, how we can do it as a church, all right? Here's how we can screw up Easter as a church. Make it about you, and I'll make it about me, all right? Be offended by me, and I'll be offended by you. Be offended by the people next to you or somebody. Just pick somebody that is really irritated you. Just hold that through this whole week. Just hold on to it. Ride that bull. (coughs) And then also offend in in addition. And be really opinionated. And don't pray at all. Don't, Don't pray. Heaven forbid you pray. Think about the Lord. Here it is, the 11th hour, Garden of Gethsemane, drops of blood pouring from his pores. If it were me, and it was Easter... We're coming up to Easter, and it's Good Friday, and we've got Good Friday. We've got the Seder. We've got the play that we're seeing. We've got all this stuff. We've got the last thing of God's spell. We've got the whole week, and things happening. And if the staff bails on me, and I find them sound asleep, and we got work to do, you know what I would do? I'd walk up and go, you're fired. This is pathetic. What is your problem? I'm offended by you. I've poured my life into you. We pay you a good salary, kind of. And we do all these things. <laughs> what is your problem? I'd be irritated. I go, that's it. If you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Let's just all go to hell in a handbag. It's going to be the worst ever. 
perfect way to destroy Easter. Jesus didn't walk up to the 12 and go, fellas, what's your problem? I am so offended by you. Do you know what I've poured into your life? Do you know what I've done for you? Is this, is this how you respond to three years of discipleship? No. He goes back to the Father. He says, Lord, you got a lot of work on your hands because these guys are asleep. Would you strengthen me to continue to minister to them? He wasn't irritated. He prayed. The way we really screw up Easter, don't pray. Be offended. Create distraction. Make it about you. And we won't see 50% of the community respond to the prayers of our intercession. Look at Easter as we're here to entertain you. Don't, don't say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Say, my entertainment. And the music didn't appeal to me. And the, 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 the just, it wasn't my, I, me, I, mine. My. Give it a rest. See, here's how, here's how we're going to experience Resurrection Sunday. And then we're getting ready to go into communion. Here's how you experience Resurrection Sunday. Ready? The same way Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross. He died and was resurrected in the power of the Father. Exceeding, exceeding greatness of his power manifested in his death. You want to see an amazing Resurrection Sunday? Die. Don't make it about you. Let's not make it about us. It's all about him. No offense, none given, none received. Pray. Die. He'll resurrect. We die, he'll magnify. The exceeding greatness of his power in this community. You want to kill it? Make it about you. You know, that's easy to say from this position because I can say as a pastor with boldness from this pulpit, die. You know what stinks about it, though? I have to go back and live that. When I'm offended, when I'm offended, and you know what that that means. That means that I am absolutely justified in my frustration with that person. I'm completely right. They're completely wrong. I am offended. And then I see that person. And the Lord says, go talk to him. I don't want to go talk to him. I was at the movie theater. I was at the movie theater. It's coming out of the movies. The person hadn't been to church, wasn't coming to the church anymore, walking. I go, oh, man. I go, honey, this person. She says, oh, yeah, go talk to him. I go, you, you go talk to him. Why do I have to be the one who has to go chase every? You go talk to him. No, no, you need to go talk to him. No, I'm not, I'm not going to go talk to him. I'm tired. It's my me time. I came to see a movie. I, I came to escape this calling. And so she, my wife goes off with the boys and they're heading out. And M- Michael was the funniest because 
my wife goes, oh, yeah. She looks over my shoulder and goes, oh, yeah. And Michael goes, hey, Dad. It's, I go, shh, And so they go off, and I, I'm going back to my car because I've got to get to the practice for the Easter play. Because we're going to have a spectacular event, and I've got to get to the play. And so I'm walking to the car to get to the play, and the Lord's going, where are you going? Not your will, my will, play. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do the play for your glory. You know, glory. Why don't you go talk to that child of mine? Because I'm offended. So? You offended me. And I died for you. Go talk to him. Yes, Lord. My heart's pounding. My chest is tight. They come walking from getting their ticket at the theater. They're all alone. I go over and I say, is everything okay between us? Which starts this precious conversation. A lot of tears. Sweet hug. Restoration ministry. God, exceeding power, made manifest. The greatness of his exceeding power made manifest. My heart resurrected. My relationship with that person resurrected. Stronger than it's ever been because we were able to work through those. I've written, made some phone calls, written some letters. Folks, I hate dying just as much as you do. And it stinks being the pastor when you got a message that seems really profound in one sense, but you got to walk away from it going, all right, let's put that to practice. But do we want to see the exceeding greatness of his power on Resurrection Sunday? Then we die and let him magnify. And you know how we die? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I die to myself. I live to you. I'm crucified. You're resurrected. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken. This is my blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. Before he, he offered it, he said he gave thanks in prayer. He thanked the Father. What for? That he was going to be crucified? No. That you and I would be delivered. And in that prayer to the Father, as the bread is broken and the blood is poured out, he said, As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Communion, come and die. Go and magnify. You die, he resurrects. And so we're going to take communion. I can't think of a better day than Palm Sunday. No more fickle hearts, but faithful hearts. Blessed is he who comes to this table in the name of the Lord. And leaves for his greater glory to reach this community. We've got, we've, we've still got flyers. My 10-year-old son has put the challenge out to you. He didn't do it, but I'm doing it in his stead. He's, he's already walked and given out probably over 500 of these things. Door to door, walking the neighborhood. You grab a stack and you go out. And I don't care if you say, well, I got stuff to do today and I really need some me time. Well, there's some people behind the doors in your neighborhood that need some Jesus time. And we want to see the thief enter into paradise. This is the 11th hour. Not my will, but thy will be done. It's time to die, crucify, and then magnify. Amen?
That was weakest I think I've ever heard it. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together to solidify our hearts in the service of his kingdom. This is going to be an amazing Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be praying up a storm. We're going to be serving up a storm. And we're going to watch as God is going to save a storm. Amen? All right. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's close our eyes in prayer.